Well, that is, in fact, uh, what our text is about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about governments. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, 13 to 17. If you're new here with us, we just kind of preach through books of the Bible, and so we find ourselves uh, almost near the end of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we've actually already covered a lot of ground theologically. Uh, up to this point, Peter has reminded us as Christians, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, he's reminded us of some very significant things that are true about us. Uh, for example, he's, he's reminded us that we are born again to a living hope in Christ. Uh, he's reminded us that we are waiting to receive our heavenly inheritance. He's reminded us that we actually uh, are exiles. Uh, we don't live, it's not our home in this world anymore. Our home is in heaven, but we're here for now. And so there's this dynamic where we are, we're living in the world, but not of the world. Uh, he's reminded us that we should set our hope fully on the grace of God. And with all of these promises, all of these blessings that come through Christ, there's also a call for us to live a certain kind of life. And he's called us to live a holy life. He's called us, last week, we saw in our text, called us to live a life of good deeds, of good works. And so today, uh, Peter begins to explain what kind of good works he has in mind for us as the church, which I think is really important because... I think naturally, the kinds of good works that we are drawn towards, they are good, but they tend to make us feel good. You know what I'm saying? Like, for example, uh, works of generosity. That, that those are good works, stuff that we do as a church. We're coming up to the Christmas giving season. We always have some Christmas giving projects. Those are fantastic. Last year, we did Christmas hampers for those in need. Uh, we supported a church in Mexico with their operating budget, helped to plant another church. That's great. I mean, to be generous is part of who we should be. It also feels pretty good, which, it, which isn't a bad thing. It's just the kind of work that we're drawn towards. Uh, even works of service. Those are good works. For example, as a church, we've done Love My City Week, where we've gone to parks, cleaned up uh, big bags of garbage. Uh, we've helped with a cold weather mat program for people, the homeless in our community. We've gone to certain areas and served them with meals, that kind of thing. These are, these are good things, and they make us feel good. What Peter is going to highlight for us, though, are some good deeds that don't usually feel that great. And so because they don't usually feel that great, we don't tend to uh, think of them. But Peter uh, mentions them a lot. In fact, he triples down on these kinds of good works. And basically, the kind of works that he points us to are works of submission. Submission to authority. In fact, uh, he triples down on these kinds of good works, we're going to see this over the next few weeks. This week and then two more, uh, submission to government, submission in the workplace, submission in the home. Very clearly, this is something that God calls us to, not just as kind of a one-off, but as a pattern for our life. So today, today we start with submission to government, which should be an easy one, right? I mean, it's not like the government's been asking us to do anything that's difficult lately. Uh, actually, this is... One of the reasons that I, we picked this book to go through for the fall because it has some really clear instruction and some helpful instruction in terms of how we as the church should relate to the government. So we're going to read our text, we're going to pull out some principles, and then actually we're going to go to other parts in scripture to kind of round out our understanding of, of how we as a church should relate to government. So uh, let's, let's dive in. Uh, you can read along with your Bible. I think the words will be there on the screen. But here's what Peter uh, writes to us, his instructions to us. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme 
or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So that's our text. Uh, we've got three points to guide our way through and then some sort of practical applications at the end. But here's our first point. Authority is part of God's good design. Authority is part of God's good design. Uh, we need to start here because it's, it's clearly implied in the text, but we also need to start here because I think for a lot of us, I mean, we have issues with authority. I mean, some of you have real, I mean, issues with authority. Um, and that's, that's partly because uh, some of us have, have been under uh, corrupt authority, harsh authority, and so we naturally have just this reluctance to submit. That's fair enough. But I think just in general as human beings, we don't love the idea of submitting to authority. I mean, you, you can see it in the youngest human beings that exist. Babies, here's a lovely baby right in front. So quiet, so... But imagine trying to get that baby into a car seat. Hmm? He will not love it. Babies will scream, arch their back. As soon as they can move, there are certain things you try to do. Them. Put a diaper on them. That's a loving thing. They don't want it. Ugh, they kick their legs. Right? Don't put me in this car seat. It's going to save your life. They don't care. Right? That's a picture of us really in our human nature, in our sin. We don't like other people telling us what to do, forcing us what to do. And when we're young, we'll yell and scream. And sometimes when we're older, we'll yell and scream as well. That's, that's part of what it means to be human. But What's very clear in scripture is that God has designed not just our world, but the entire universe with authority structures, and they're there for our good. So just a few of them uh, that we can see right from the beginning. For example, even before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were given distinct roles within the family unit. Adam was called to be the head of the family. Eve was created as his helper. Those are roles with some authority implied there. We're going to talk about that in, in a couple of weeks, but it's there right from the beginning. It's good for the family that God designed the family this way. In Genesis 9, uh, this is after the flood, we see the beginnings of human government and the beginnings of a judicial system. So look at these verses, uh, Genesis 9, uh, verse 5. God says, From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made, uh, God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So you can see there, this is the same kind of command God gave to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. But also there you see that those who take the life of another are going to be accountable, not just to God, they are accountable to God, but also to other human beings. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. That's the beginning of government, that God is instituting this authority so that it will regulate human behavior, which is important for us. But interestingly, authority is not just for human beings. Uh, you see references in scriptures to there's a hierarchy of angels. Uh, for example, um, certain angels, Michael is called an archangel. Right? He has a higher level of authority than the other angels. Also, most fascinating is that in the Godhead itself, in the Trinity even though God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equally God, equally divine, equal in glory and power, there are levels of authority. There's submission. I mean, Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not, not my will, but yours be done. He's submitting to the Father. 
Jesus sends the Spirit. The Spirit goes where Jesus sends him. Even though they're equal, there are degrees of authority and submission. So the point that we need to make peace with as human beings is that even though authority can be corrupt, it is not intrinsically bad. And it's good for us. It's part of the good structure of the world around us. And I say we need to make peace with this because if we don't, if we misunderstand this, that this is actually how God designed the world for our good, if we don't get that, we're going to long for the wrong kind of life. And you see this all around us. Human beings tend to long for a life where we are free. And by that, we think we mean totally free. Like no one can tell us what to do. That's usually why we try to make a lot of money. Because most of the week, we're doing something that someone is telling us to do because they give us a paycheck. And so we say, okay, we'll do it. But we'd rather not. It'd be better if, you know, when we retire, that's our dream. No one's going to tell me what to do. But I can go do whatever I want. If I have enough money, I can go wherever I want. That's sort of the dream as human beings. And yet, we should be very clear that that is not God's dream for us as human beings. That's not what he thinks is best for us. He thinks it's best for us to have levels of authority over us, starting with him, with Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords, but also in the different areas of our lives, in family, in the church, in community. We should expect and embrace the fact that there will be some other human being that has authority over us and that that's good for us. So that's the beginning of how God structured our world and sort of our environment. And then the next thing that we see specifically in our text is how we should relate to those authority structures. And so here's our second point, speaking about the government specifically. Our default then, as, as Christians, speaking of Christians here, our default is to submit to governmental authority. To submit to the government. And we see that very clearly in the text. Let's look at it more closely Verse 13 begins with the words, be subject, which means just what you think it would mean. Obey, submit, listen to those who have authority over you. But the text here is not just talking about doing certain things. It's not just saying be law-abiding citizens. It's partly what it's saying. But if you look at the last verse, it, it also speaks to our heart. The heart there is to honor the emperor, it says. Honor the emperor. Right? There's a difference between just obeying the law and having a heart that's really for, really for the honor, the esteem of those who have authority over us in the government. Notice also uh, the scope of this command. Look at verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. So apply dark context. That would be everyone from the prime minister down to the bylaw officer. Right? This is whom God is speaking to us, saying these are the people that you should submit to because they are an authority over you. And, and it's not just to the good ones. I mean, the good ones are easy to submit to. It's not just to them, though. We know this. Um, well, we know that that is God's intention. We should say that first and foremost. That the intention of government is that they would promote good order, promote greater morality, greater justice in our society. Uh, if you look at verse 14 again, it says that those governors are sent by the emperor to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's, that's the intention. That's why they're there. We see this also in Romans 13. It's the other kind of classic text on this issue of authority. Romans 13.3 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, 
and you will receive his approval. So he's saying that's, that's why the police exist. That's why the legislators exist to organize our, our culture, our society, so that there's law and order. That's how it should work. But Peter knows full well that corruption is always a problem when it comes to human authority. I mean, he's not ignorant of that fact. And so what we see in the next part of our, um, of our passage, it's going to come next week, but we need to dip into it to see what he says about this. He does not tie our submission to the moral goodness of the ruler above us. So look at uh, verse 18, speaking about servants and masters. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the unjust. Now this, if you're not feeling a bit uneasy, is probably making you really uneasy. Because it really seems like what God is saying is, look, doesn't matter whether your ruler is good or not, just or not, moral or enough, you, you should submit to them. We're already probably thinking of some of the ways that our, our present government, the, the moral integrity of that government has been eroded over time. I mean, we tend, I think, as Christians to say, yeah, yeah, but, you know, you don't know what our government is like right now. It always feels like governments are the worst right now. And so we would say, you don't know uh, their moral convictions and how contrary to the Bible they are. You don't know where they're going to lead us. You don't know how, hor- how horrible they are. Well, Peter might not have known the government that we have, but if we look back, it's pretty clear that his leaders were, I would say, more immoral than ours. I mean, he was, he was talking about an emperor who was Nero. I mean, he wasn't living in a democracy. We live in a democracy where actually our voices are welcomed and encouraged to a certain extent. Back then, they, they were not interested at all. There was no one in Peter's government that was saying, well, we'd actually be interested in your opinion about this law. They didn't care. Nero, as Joshua mentioned last week, he thought he was a god. He saw people as just things to be used. He would, he would kill people without a thought. The Christian church, he hated the Christian church. He thought they were competition. He killed thousands of Christians. Pontius Pilate would be another governor at the time. He was the guy who said, look, I know Jesus is innocent, but uh, I'll still condemn him to death because I'm worried about my job. I mean, that's... That's what we would point to these days and say, they should not be in office. But back then, there was no recourse. Even, uh, even basically every civic you know, person in authority uh, has some level of corruption. There's another guy, Felix. Uh, Paul is in prison and Felix kind of toys with him, comes to talk with him, leaves him in jail. There's no due process. There's no, there's no way for really Paul to uh, appeal there. These were not moral rulers. They were capricious They were antagonistic towards Christians. And we just need to acknowledge the fact that no matter how bad we think Justin Trudeau is, he pales in comparison to the people that Peter is talking about. (laughs) That that should say something to us, right? Peter is saying, look, for all rulers, for all centuries, this is your, your attitude and action should be one of submission and honor. Now, Some of you may be saying at this point, well, wait a second, wasn't there something about freedom in our text? I'm pretty sure, pretty sure there's something about freedom there, and that sounds really good. Can we look at that? Absolutely. Let's look at verse 16. It says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Yes, freedom. We're free in Christ, aren't we? Absolutely. Which means we are really free. It really does mean that our ultimate authority is only God. That he is the one that we are to serve. He is our ultimate king, absolutely. 
But before we go too far down the road of Christian freedom, we should look and see how it's described in the text. Because you notice what it says? It says, yes, you are free, but you should not use that freedom as a cover-up for evil. So that's saying, look, you're, you're free from sin, right? But that doesn't mean you keep sinning, right? That, that's talked about in the book of Romans. And also it says you are to live as servants of God. So true freedom from God's point of view for us as human beings is to have God as our master, right? That is, that is freedom. That is the best thing for us. But then the question should be, well, then what is our master? What is he telling us to do when it comes to the government? And, and we just read what he's telling us to do. He's saying, oh, yes, I'm your master, and here's what I want you to do. Submit to the governing authorities. So it's like in an office when you have a CEO, and he brings in a new manager, and you're like, well, I, I used to, you were my direct report. I kind of like that. I like reporting to you, sir, or you, ma'am. And they're like, well, I, I want to structure things differently. And you say, but that, but Joe from accounting, he's, he's a buffoon. I, I don't want to submit to him. Well, I appreciate your input, your CEO might say, but this is how we're structuring things. And so if you're going to obey your CEO, you're going you're to submit to this new manager. It's the same thing in the world. If you're going to obey God, then you need to submit to the governing authorities. That's, that's the way that he has organized and orchestrated the world around us. Uh, there's a Christian thinker that I came across who stated it this way. This guy's name is Wolfgang Schrage, which is awesome. His, here's what he says. He says, Christians are free with respect to the authorities. Notice that. We're free. And normally, this freedom manifests itself in submission. What? That's how it's organized. God says, you're free. You're free in Christ. And here's what I want you to do. Submit to the authorities around you. So here's what this looks like visually. I'm going to give you some visuals today because I think it's helpful. Uh, we're going to do a Venn diagram. Uh, normally, this is kind of the way that life works as Christians. Uh, we have a bunch of commands from the Bible and a bunch of commands from the government. And most of the time, or a lot of the time, at least in our world, they're, they're not conflicting, right? So for example, in the Bible, it'll say, um, do not commit adultery. The government does not care whether we commit adultery or not. Doesn't really have any rules about that, but that's something that we're compelled to by the word of God. But the government does have other things. Like you should pay your taxes. And what Jesus made very clear, someone said, should we pay taxes to Rome? Right, they're, they're, they're abusing us. They're, they're, and they're, I mean, using it probably to, you know, finance temple worship. They're going to waste it. And Jesus is like, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Right, so whatever, the government's going to, they're going to waste our money. They're going to use it for things that actually are contrary to what certain medical procedures, abortion financed by some of our tax dollars. The key is we are not directly involved with that. That, that moral responsibility is on the people who are perpetrating those, those sins. But we as a Christian community, we're called to, to pay our taxes. They actually are not, they're not conflicting those, those commands a lot of the time. Now, before we get to, I know you're waiting, when do we defy? We're going to get there. But before we get there, <laughs> before we get there, why should we do this? Why, why are we to act in this way? Well, there's two reasons given. To glorify God and to silence those critical of the church. So let's look. It's, it's right in our text. I'm actually going to go back to verse 12. Peter says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's saying, look, the people around you, if you want them to glorify God, see the character of God in you should be doing good things. Well, what kind of good things, Peter? Verse 13, be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
What he's recognizing there is something we know all too well if you've been a Christian for any length of time in our community is that there's a lot of people who are critical towards the church, who, who are actively against the things of God, are saying, look, the church is no good for society, and so we need to come against them. What Peter's saying is one of the ways that we can silence those who are critical against the church is for us to be for the community, for us to be law-abiding citizens, serving the community, uh, visibly seeking to honor those who are in charge. We're to be law-abiding citizens, absolutely. But even more so, we're to be actively for the good of our community. So let me give you an example, just the opportunity I had to sort of live this out in the last few weeks. Uh, As a pastor in the Tri-Cities, I'm part of something called the Tri-City Ministerial, which is a group of pastors and uh, leaders within the Christian church. It's a pretty diverse theological group, but we come together on certain things. And one of the things we come together on is a prayer breakfast that we host for our civic leaders. This has been going on for like 30 years here in the Tri-City area. It happened a few weeks ago again, and it's a pretty incredible morning. Probably about 40 civic leaders from the area, all the mayors, uh, most of the city councilors, school trustees, uh, MLAs, MPs come. We are at the boathouse in Port Moody, the churches, we pay for it all. And we just say to them, we want you to come. We invite you to come. We want to uh, serve you breakfast, and we want to pray for you. It's, it's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful time because we get to display our heart as a church is that we're really for you as our civic leaders. Now, this doesn't mean that we agree on everything. I mean, even there, like I was sitting around a table and one of the conversations was some of the people at the table were saying that they thought it was really great that some of the church uh, land in the Tri-Cities was being redeveloped for low-income housing. I'm really for low-income housing, but I actually don't think that's a great use of church land because it's so hard to get zoning for church land. And as soon as we get rid of it, we're not getting it back. I think it's really important we have areas where people can come and worship together. The bigger, the better. I didn't bring that up in that moment. Not because I'm scared about talking about that, but because that wasn't the time. That was a time where we were just saying, look, we're here to pray for you. And I got to do that. I got to stand up, pray for all of the leaders of Port Coquitlam, pray for uh, Mayor Brad West, all the city councillors, And the response we get from the civic leaders is, boy, this, we really appreciate this. And it's a really good thing for them to see our heart because there are going to be times when we're writing letters. There are going to be times we're having meetings and we should, as a Christian community, voice our opinion. We are for the good of the city, which means we want to lead and sort of speak into things at our schools from a biblical point of view. But we also need to be displaying an attitude of submission, honoring those who are serving us. Because it glorifies God for them to see that, that heart in us. And it does silence those who are saying the church, they don't care about anyone. They just care about themselves. That's what we should be known for. You should be looking for opportunities in whatever you know, area you are in the city to really show people, I'm, I'm for you. I'm praying for you. We see that in 1 Timothy 2. We should be praying for our leaders. So, so we have authority around us by the design of God. Our default, our default is to submit But does this mean that we submit blindly? Does this mean that then we just a blank check, like whatever you want to do, we're going to go along with it? And of course, the answer is no. Point number three. There are times when we should not submit to the government. That's the big question. What are those times? Well, you'll notice it actually is not in our text. It's interesting. In in the Bible, there isn't an explicit instruction on how this works. But what we learn from looking at the way that God's people have lived over time, is that the key issue is the issue of sin. 
Are we being led into sin? Is the government telling us that we need to sin? In those instances, our response is, I'm sorry, but I can't follow you. I can't actually obey. And the classic text for this, we're going to look at a few of them, is Peter and John in the book of Acts. They're, they're doing what God told them to do. They're telling everyone about Jesus. And the civic authorities are saying, look, can you please stop telling everyone about Jesus? In fact, more than please stop, you're not allowed to do this anymore. We're going to put you in prison. And then they get out and they go and keep telling people about Jesus. And they come back again and the civic authorities are questioning them. Here's what it says in Acts 5. It says, and when they, brought them, uh, when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That's the classic response, the right response in that instance. Why? Well, let me bring up our Venn diagram again, just to kind of make this clear for us. There are times when there's... uh, Commands that are not conflicting, but of course there are times when they do conflict. So in this case, what are the conflicting commands? Well, the Bible says, I mean, Jesus said, look, teach everyone in my name, right? That's the Great Commission. Matthew 28, right? Go and make disciples, teach them, baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then the civic authorities are saying, don't teach about Jesus. And the answer is, we got to go with the word of God, right? So check mark, Bible, we got to go with the word of God. That's what we're going to obey. Pretty clear. Pretty clear because it's an issue of sin. It's what God told us directly to do. And now the government's saying you can't do that. We're saying, look, whatever the consequences are, we, we have to obey God. Let's look at another example from the Old Testament. We're going to look at Daniel. Uh, Daniel had a lot of experience living and working in a very pagan, not Christian society, right? He was in exile, like, kind of like we are. Uh, he was brought from Jerusalem to Babylon. And right away, his, his convictions about the word of God, what God told him to do, were brought into conflict with what uh, Babylon wanted him to do. And it started with what he was going to eat. They said, look, here's the king's table. We want you to grow big and strong. You can eat all of this. And Daniel says, ah, there's things that God told me not to eat. So look at his response. Here's Daniel 1.8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So here's our diagram again. I'm sure Daniel, you know, in the sand, he was drawing a Venn diagram. What should I do? This is how he's figuring it out. That was a joke. Okay, so the two commands, right? Do not eat unclean animals. That's what it says in Leviticus. That was really clear at that time for God's people. But then uh, the eunuch is saying, no, you have to eat because my job is to make you strong. You're not going to get strong unless you eat. Notice Daniel's response. He, he really clearly knows it has to be checkmark God's word, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the word of God. But what we should learn from Daniel is that while he has conviction, he also has uh, an attitude of submission. This is the interesting thing about Daniel. You'll notice in that moment, he didn't fly into a rage. He didn't, he didn't start, you know, to attack. He didn't get all the other exiles and say, look, can you believe what they want us to do? Now is the time. We got to escape. We got to create an uprising. He didn't do any of that. He just asked the chief eunuch, listen, could we not eat that, you know, that food? There are convictions for us. Is there something else we could eat? And it gets into a whole thing. We don't know at that point, was was Daniel willing to be punished for that? I think he would. We, We know that because later on, a similar thing happens. 
Uh, when Daniel's much older, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, there's a new law that's brought about to entrap Daniel, and the law is you can only pray to the king. Daniel has the same kind of response. He responds with conviction, right? He says, I'm not going to pray to anyone else, but he does it in a way that still has some sense of respect. He doesn't, he doesn't go throughout the city, right, trying to bring all the exiles together, say, this is, can you believe they're asking us to pray to the king? This is crazy. Quick, get, get whatever weapons you can. We've got to fight. We've got to get out of here. He doesn't plaster all the public plazas with things that say, defy the king, defy the king. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He just, he just keeps praying. He keeps praying. And if you notice, he doesn't give any real response. He's just, it's obvious. He's thinking, it should be obvious to you that I'm not going to obey this. And I'm willing to go to my death. And of course, God, God saves him. But the dynamic there is one that we should take note of. That there is a conviction about issues of obedience to God's word, but also a spirit of, of honoring still, of even a submissive spirit to the people who are in charge. And I think that's something we should take note of because as the church, I'm not sure we're fantastic at that. If you look at the way the dynamic has been in COVID, um, there have been a lot of people within the church that have been very aggressive, very vocal, very, very slanderous towards public figures. There's been a lot of animosity, outrage, whether it be on Facebook or just in our conversations. I mean, there are protests in front of hospitals, seemingly against healthcare workers. People from the church were there. And, and they, they were saying, this, this is what we need to be known for, this kind of aggressive rebellion. And what I'm saying is, I don't see that here in the text of Scripture. Certainly, we need to be people of conviction. But that type of response, you, you just don't see it. You don't see it in the apostles. Even in that time where they're saying we have to obey God rather than men, they almost seem apologetic. Look, you just have to know, we're, we're not trying to stage an uprising. We just have to obey the Lord. This is what we're compelled to. So the instruction from Scripture is really clear. Our default, honor and submit to our leaders unless there are conflicting commands between the Word of God and what they're telling us to. In that case, we have to go with the Word of God. But we still do it with an attitude of honor and respect. We do this because it glorifies God. They, they can even see Christ within us. I mean, that, this was his attitude in going to the cross. He submitted to the authorities, but he was still true to his convictions. All of this should lead people, whether it's submissiveness or rebelliousness, it should lead people to glorify God all the more. Now, the challenge with this is that while it's fine to say, okay, it comes down to issues of sin, it's not always so clear whether something is an issue of sin or not. So I want to dig even deeper into uh, COVID again because that's something that we've all been wrestling with. There's a whole bunch of you know, things we could talk about. I want to focus on one thing, which was the gathering restrictions, right? For the first time in all our lives, the, the provincial government said, look, as a church, you're not allowed to gather, right? So those were, the, those were the conflicting commands. In the Bible, just so we're clear, God does tell us we should gather, in Hebrews 10, it says, do not neglect to meet together. That's a bad thing. It's a good thing for the church to gather in person, to spur one another on to good works, to worship together. That's, that's a command on our lives. But the government was saying, look, all public gatherings are prohibited, so you're not allowed to gather. And the question that we were wrestling with as the church and as individuals, look, what, are, they, are they telling us to sin or what's going on here? Before I answer that question, I want to point to a similar situation in another part of the world. Because what uh, I think we heard, I heard 
a lot of the time was, well, look, this is just what happens in China, right? In, in China, the government is saying, you can't gather, and what does the church do? They're strong, they're faithful, they meet anyways. So let's look at that. The Chinese communist government is very clear, right, that any unauthorized church gatherings are illegal. If you're a Christian in China, a real Christian, you know that the communist sanctioned church is not a real church. You can't go and be part of that. Uh, something that's ruled by the Communist Party. But the commands of the Bible are still on the Chinese Christians. They're, they're supposed to gather together. It's good for them. So they had to make a decision. What are we going to do? And uh, the church in China, the true church in China, uh, gives a check mark to the Bible. We're going to gather anyway. We're going to gather in secret. We're going to gather in each other's homes. We're going to take our lives into our hands. We're going to risk this because when the push comes to shove, we're going to honor the Lord and we see this is good for us. It is an issue of sin. Right? It is an issue of, of being fearful of what the government's going to do. We can't do that. We need to gather as a church. So let's go back to us. Is this the same situation? Yeah. Are the parameters and details the same? And clearly they're not the same for a few different reasons. Number one, our government, uh, it wasn't an ideological issue. With the communist government, they don't want any competing ideologies. So they're saying to the Christians, no, we don't, we don't want you. If we approve of it, and then we'll, we'll orchestrate the way we want, it's okay. But it's because they don't want any competition for the communist ideology. That was not the issue here in BC. The issue here in BC was that there was a virus that was killing people. And so the government was saying, look, churches, casinos, everyone, uh, most public gatherings, you're not, you're not allowed to meet. We don't think you should meet. And we as the church looked at that and said, well, this, they're, they're saying this is a temporary measure, right? They're saying this is really for the purpose of, you know, uh, protecting people, which we should care about. And they're not saying we can't preach the gospel, right? There are other means, lesser means, like online gatherings, which aren't as great, right? Not as good for us, not really fully, not fully obeying God when we do that. But for a time, we said, look, this is not going to be sin for us. So we're going to checkmark BC government. We're going to obey the government, I'm pointing this out because this is the challenge for us living in the world. That, that it's difficult at times to discern what is sin and what is not sin. Because the parameters change. For example, this, this was our response this time. But what if, for example, um, it's, it was two years later and the government was still telling us as a church that we couldn't gather? We might begin to have some questions. What if they were saying, even though the threat level has diminished... The death rate wasn't as bad as we thought. There's vaccines. Even though all those things are true, they're still saying churches, we don't want you to meet. We might be saying, I'm not so sure about this. What if they were starting to tell us what we could do in our church gathering? Then we would, we would want to reevaluate whether this would be sin or not. So I'm, I'm trying to outline for us as a church and as individuals that there is clarity in terms of our, our default, how we should respond to the government, and there's clarity about the issues that we cannot go along with the government, but the discernment process, it is a challenge. And really the issue is, is whatever the government telling us to do sin right now? Not, do I think it's a waste? Not, do I think it's ineffective? Not, do I think that if they start here, they may end up somewhere else that is sin? The question is right now, is this sin for me? If so, then I, I can't go along with the government. And can I point to it in the word of God? Or if not, then, then I can go along, even if it infringes upon my rights. So that's, that's what we find in scripture. Now, there are two tendencies that make this a challenge for us. 
two tendencies that, that threaten to obscure the gospel. Remember, we're the Christian church. The gospel is what we're all about. But in this dynamic, there are two things that can make the gospel less clear. One of them is that I think there are many within the church that are too eager to get into conflict with the government. We just, for whatever reason, maybe it's how we're wired, maybe we came from somewhere else in the world and we lived under an authoritarian government, we know what that's like, and we're just like, no, we gotta fight. We gotta fight. As soon as we even smell just some sense that the government is infringing upon our rights, man, we gotta stand up. Aren't we strong in the Lord? Why are we fearful? The problem with that is that we could end up fighting about the wrong things in the wrong way. And we obscure the gospel because we end up majoring on things that are not major things. Like whether we have a mask on our face or not. And, and we miss the true message of the church, which is about the death and resurrection of Christ. That, that's a danger if we're too eager to get into conflict. But there's another danger. The other danger is for those of us that are too reluctant to get into conflict. And I'd say maybe that's more of us because we've lived in a, in a culture that is at peace. And it's a Judeo-Christian culture. So there's a lot of residual Christian morality, which means that some of us can remember a time when we had prayer in the schools. And for the most part, we can just live at peace with the government. No one's really infringing upon us. And so when all of a sudden there's things we have to wrestle with, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I kind of liked when it was peaceful. And if we start to speak up as a church, man, it's not going to be peaceful. I'm not sure that I'm excited about that. I'm nervous about that. The danger there, of course, is that we won't be ready to stand up for our biblical convictions. That we'll lack courage and conviction when we need to stand up for Jesus. For example, how are we going to respond when and if the government starts telling pastors what they can and can't preach? Like what parts of the Bible are hate speech? And so you're not allowed to preach that part. How are we going to respond as a church? How are we going to respond when and if uh, there are protests outside of our building, outside of our, our property. And, and we as a church have to cross that line to come in to gather. How are we going to respond? Are we going to be quick to fight, quick to start yelling and protesting back, saying, we have a right to be here, you don't know, and getting really aggressive? Or are we going to say, you know what? Remember before when we used to meet online? Maybe we should do that. Because then it'd be a lot more comfortable for everyone, right? I mean, that, that would be easier. If I could stay in my living room, and not actually have to cross a picket line and have people look at me and yell at me, that would make me feel more comfortable. See, see it's going to be a challenge for us to, to persevere in faithfulness, to persevere in living lives of good works and grace, to persevere in submission to the authorities in every way possible up to the point of disobeying Jesus. It's going to be tough for us to persevere in speaking and sharing the gospel with a willingness to suffer for it to be inconvenienced, to be uncomfortable. But that's, that's really what we're called to here in this whole dynamic. I want to remind you, as we close, who's writing this? This is Peter. Remember Peter? Do you remember how he responded when Jesus was about to be arrested? Remember, he looked for the nearest sword and grabbed it, cut off a guy's ear, and was like, I'm ready to fight. That's his natural disposition. That's, that's what he was used to. We got to fight. It's the kingdom of God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus' response is, whoa, Peter. Peter, look, if I wanted to impose my kingdom in that way by force, I could do that in a word. That's not why I came. That's not what this is about. 
I came for something better. I came, I came to die for these people, not to fight them. And that's our call as well. This call to submission is, is a willingness to suffer for the sake of glorifying God, for the sake of the people around us. So to be clear, we are never to waver from biblical obedience, but we are to seek to honor and love all those in our lives, especially those in authority. That's how Peter ends. Look at verse 17 again. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the emperor. So here are my questions as we close. Which tendency do you think that you lean towards? Do you think you're too eager to get into conflict with those in authority? Or do you think that you're too reluctant? I think it's worth thinking about. Also, do you put regular effort and energy into praying for and honoring the people in authority over you? Is that part of your regular rhythm? Could there be other opportunities that you're missing to really bless the people around you, those in authority, in the workplace, in government, so that they can see the love of Christ in you? This, this is what we're called to as a church. This difficult road of being exiles in this world, being in the world but not of it. And we're to do it all for the glory of Christ. Let me pray for his help in that. Lord Jesus, I do pray for your help. Such a difficult thing to live in a world that does not honor you and yet to be called to honor you. Such a difficult thing when there are competing, conflicting commands in our lives at times. I pray, Lord, for us as a church that you would give us a strong resolve to never waver from the biblical truth, biblical commands in our lives, but also a willingness to suffer, a willingness, Lord, to, to honor and even pray for those that are against us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to never obscure the gospel. Lord, that we would live in such a way, that we would, we would act in such a way that people could see clearly that our hope is in you, that you are our highest authority, and yet the way that we live demonstrates that we're really for the people around us. So please, Lord, would you, would you help us? Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us soft hearts, uh, hearts that have experienced your grace and have a lot of grace for others? I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.